welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And this week we're going to be uh, talking, we have a double stuffed episode. Uh, we're going to be talking <laughs> about a little bit of good news for a change um, <clears throat> that uh, a district judge in the Eighth Circuit upheld an injunction and put in place a permanent injunction against uh, an Arkansas law banning um, gender-affirming care for transgender children. And we're going to be yes. talking about that case, a uh, similar law that was recently blocked in Indiana, um, and the implications for 2024. And we're also going to be talking about the largest scandal in American history, um, <laughs> the most brazen criminal <laughs> escapade, the most, you know, the largest criminal mastermind in the entire history of the world, Hunter uh, Biden. Finally, yes. uh, facing the justice he so richly deserves. You know, I heard the most insane thing about this, which is maybe this will make uh, the right wing nut jobs like calm down for a while. And I was like, how fucking dumb are you that you think that like having him actually charged with any crime, right? Like any federal crime, you know, is going to make them calm down first of all like mm -hmm. has there been a, has there been an attribute less associated with the right-wing nut jobs than calm <laughs> i was gonna say um and when has ever uh when have they ever calmed down for any reason i i can't remember a no moment. no like when um, you are but... not when you when you are unburdened by the by reality itself you know you're just gonna hop onto the next taxi cab into your fantasy world of your choosing I, I, I like that image. I just imagine them going from like cartoon to cartoon, uh, like yeah, channel absolutely. surfing, like an, like an over caffeinated eight year old on Saturday morning. 100%. <laughs> uh, but before we get to all that stuff, Sarah, uh, what, what are you eating and uh, what's eating you? Um, uh, shout out to uh, the Speedway um, employee who, when I went in there with my, I have one of those obnoxious uh, metal, you know, canteen things <clears throat> and i filled it up with uh ice and water and just like just just a little splish splash of a little bit of vitamin water and i brought it up and i told her and she's like is that it and i was like yeah she goes just just your go go so thank you because uh that much ice is gonna last a really long time in one of these so that's what i'm eating what about you <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome uh i'm a little i'm a little jealous um because uh i'm not honestly I ate way too much yesterday, so today is a uh, is sort of giving myself a break um, yeah. from eating. That uh, yesterday was Juneteenth as of recording, and uh, it's a little bit too heavy. We'll probably do a Juneteenth episode at another point when we're uh, yeah. feeling like we're ready to tackle the topic. But I went to a Juneteenth seder last night, and it was cool. a great amalgamation of both Jewish and African American traditions. And yeah. uh, some really good food, so it, it was it was interesting. Awesome, awesome. Uh, real quick, um, if you are an indie, I will forever hound everybody to get tickets to this. But when butter uh, tickets go on sale, this is an all black art fair, so it's like it is by far the best annual arts event in Indianapolis. Um, and they're <clears throat> it's it's in some September, so they're like starting to announce stuff. But uh, if you listen to this um, in indie, like. Please, for the love of God, get at least a general admission ticket. The VIP experience is totally like awesome. But uh, uh, if you want, you know, white people often often struggle with the idea of like, what can I do now? And it's like you can support like anything like it doesn't have to all be like my friend Mark reminds me, like we don't all have to, you know, do like the mourning and the <clears throat> white guilt thing like you can you can get behind things that are happening and changing and like improving the world for better now with a sense of joy and purpose. So get your tickets to butter. It fucking rules. That, that sounds amazing. And I agree that like uh, the, the struggle is a struggle, but it's also joyful. It's also, um, it can be a lot of fun. And yeah. that th don't, don't think that it's all like keening and wailing and gnashing of teeth and renting of garments. <laughs> <laughs> that there are a lot of fun things to do. And also I think you make, you're, you're pointing out something important here that like a lot of white people are just like, why don't, you know, why don't people of color come to, uh, uh, come to my, my holiday party? It's like, no, 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 go to their spaces. 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, like, I thought that one of the things I liked yesterday is that it was held at a Baptist church. So it was a whole bunch cool. of like old Jewish people going into a yeah. black space in a place with yeah. black leadership and allowing themselves to not be the center of attention. And I think that that yeah. is an important thing uh, for everyone um, to do. And uh, I was, as usual, the only random Asian person <laughs> in this <laughs> gathering um, as a sort of like the defining experience of my life. Um, but as, as you said, like go, go to these celebrations of uh, African-American, of black culture, of black experience, have fun, um, provide both moral and economic support that, you know, you vote go. with both your heart and your wallet. Yeah, not to sound like a real Republican piece of shit, but I do actually believe that, like, small business can be a really viable road to economic parity. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, I mean, that's Pollyannish and idealistic, right? But, like, at the same time, having witnessed the kind of, like, soft discrimination that a lot of uh, Black employees face and, like, you know supposedly liberal you know diverse cultures and fully understanding the desire to just get the fuck away from that and make your own rules and you know the the indignity of that experience could not be any possibly any harder than just like the day-to-day bullshit of being a business owner so go out and do that and then support black-owned businesses what could not agree more so let's move on to uh, the an actual good thing that came out of the courts, <laughs> <Woo>! um, <laughs> which I know it's it's sad, but um, we have to celebrate any any wins that that we get. <laughs> I was going to say we got to take what we can get at this point. <laughs> so today, um, so um, so today, June twentieth, twenty twenty three, uh, in the Eighth Circuit. Um, Uh, District Judge Jay Moody uh, issued a permanent injunction against an Arkansas law uh, that banned gender-affirming care for children. So this was uh, an important law because it was the first of its kind that was passed uh, in the nation, in any state, and it would have prevented doctors from providing gender-affirming hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18. So this law had been under temporary injunction since 2021, went up to the uh, appellate level where they upheld the injunction, saying it was not abuse of the district court's discretion, kicked it back to the district court for hearing on the merits, and uh, Judge Moody uh, then issued a uh, a permanent injunction. So, Sarah, as as the podcast layperson, what do you want to know about this decision? Well, <clears throat> a few things, which is like the thing that strikes me about this, the way that it is, the the law is worded, right? Like preventing puberty blockers for anyone under the age of 18, right? Like once again, we have a situation where, and I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm literally just, my entire whole family is doctors, right? So like when yeah. I have questions about this stuff, like I have a whole team of people who I can talk to about this. And I was like, talking to them about precocious puberty, which is a condition in which like kids just go into puberty too early. You can end up with like five-year-olds getting their periods. And for a lot of reasons um, with like your growth and your bone development, like they don't want that to happen. They want you to give a chance to like for your body to grow before it goes through puberty because that can, I think, stunt your growth. So for kids, this is cisgender kids going through precocious puberty. They often give them puberty blockers um, to slow down or stop that process uh, so they can get their, their go through puberty at the appropriate, the developmentally mm-hmm. appropriate time. And I just, anytime, anytime a legislature, but especially a Republican one tries to insert themselves in any sort of medical process, like this is what we end up with like 10 out of 10 times, which is like mm-hmm. it harming people who are not trans at all, who are just getting like regular old medical care. Yeah. And you raise a really good point here. So, you know, a lot, I see a lot of people looking at the constitutional arguments uh, that judge uh, Moody made. And one of the big things here was they violated both the due process and equal protection rights of transgender youth and families, because as you put it, that the law could be, could theoretically work in two ways. Either no one gets puberty blockers 
right, right. for any particular reason no matter what whether it's for uh, gender affirming care or not so that's one particular way you could make this which would seem facially uh less openly discriminatory but yeah. opens all the all the problems that you just mentioned or it's enacted in a way so that only people who only prescriptions for puberty blockers for gender affirming care get blocked which is then openly yeah. discriminatory right it says that Correct. the same medication you can use it but for for this diagnosis but for this other diagnosis for which it is also medically appropriate we are yeah. simply the the legislature stepping in and said no um, in our inexpert opinion, um, you're not allowed to 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 use um, this medication for this particular purpose. So you can see why that would be an obvious equal protection um, violation. But I want to get into the due process because uh, the due process implications. And I think this is something that's a little bit harder um, for people to understand because due process seems like sort of a squishy, nebulous term. So yep. in your mind, what does due process mean, Sarah? So like when you think of due process, what do you imagine? I mean, as a lay person, right? Like we think of due process as the right to go through some form of adjudication, right? Like if it's an accuser, you face your accuser. If it's a civil suit, you know, you get to lay out your evidence, whatever it is, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That the, That's a really good way to think about it. That you have some sort of mechanism or arrangement to have a formal consideration of your, yeah. of a particular claim. And it could be something that, uh, for example, would had to do with employment, right? If you're being let go from a, uh, from a position, this is before the entire right to work laws and all that shit. But if you're being fired for cause or particular reason, right, you have the right to some sort of uh, oversight or overview in case, uh, uh, in case you want to dispute that. Or it could be something as simple as, um, let's say that you apply for food stamps and you're rejected, you then have some sort of appeals process to go through to get access. So you have some sort of process um, in which your your cases, your your arguments can be heard on the merits. So in this case, we have a due process violation because we have a medical condition, right? Yep. That is then being blocked or denied the treatment. Correct. Right. And this, and it's not a medical reason. I want to be very, very clear. The, the argument is not a medical reason. It's a legal reason. So due process standards would say both on a substantive and a procedural level that procedurally there should be some procedure. There should be some way yeah. to do it. And substantively, yeah. it would then have to address the substance or the specific claim you're trying to make to vindicate the right. Um, yeah. So here, the the law did not provide any of those sort of options. There was no way to yeah. appeal <laughs> uh, the decision. It was just an outright ban, right? Just an outright ban. There's no <laughs> way to get your case seen by an advisory board to yeah. see if it was medically necessary, blah, 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 blah. No, just flat out, no, you can't do it. So yeah. I think that's why it's important to think about a little bit about what due process means, especially in the medical context. Um, and how this could be really, really important when it comes not just to trans rights, but to the right of anyone, whether it's women, the disabled, yep. uh, you know, any the elderly, about wh what kind of medical care a yep. legislature can just outright ban and not provide any sort of review or oversight. Um, so I think that is what makes this particular decision so important because it's not simply limited. You, it does not have to be simply limited to the transgender context because as you and I have both seen, and I think anybody who's been conscious has seen, none of these attacks on people's rights stays cabined to the initial targets. They always sort of spread out over time. And, and more importantly, like, not that it, I'm going to say like, it doesn't matter. Not that like trans rights don't matter. Right. Like it's just, this is, this is the marginalized group du jour, right? Like mm -hmm. there are two people taking real hot heat right now and it's black Americans and trans Americans. Right. Like, and by extension, some queer gay Americans. Right. <clears throat> and that's just what is animating the right wing voting base. Right. Like if, if tomorrow everybody wakes up and they do one of those, you know, whatever uh, group, 
what's it, what's it called? Uh, oh my God. Focus groups. Like they do another focus group by yeah. phone. Right. And they say like, you know, I'm, I'm really angry about, you know, whatever, what was the thing where they were mad about gas stoves? Like then they'll go back to yeah. gas stoves. Right. Like it, it's just like, whatever, whatever the like mind poisoners on Fox news put on these people's plate, that's, what's going to make them mad. Right. So it sucks because like, I, no one who listens to our podcast needs to be told anything about like the experience of actually transitioning, but like these fucking people treat it like you can walk up off the street and order a, a gender affirming surgery, like same day that the way you would go get like a junior bacon cheeseburger, right. At like Wendy's. Oh it, yeah. It, it, there's, there's actually an interesting uh, moment. Uh, we see sort of an inversion um, where uh, the, Republican Party is now trying to court Muslim Americans by targeting transgender youth. Um, oh my god! Right, and they're saying, "Look, you hate them too. You should vote for Republicans." Um, oh and like, dude, like we lived through nine, the the post nine eleven world. I think that most of us remember when the Republican Party was like full on crazy anti Muslim Sharia law stuff. The like, I literally. I lived through the era when nothing would make a Republican froth at the mouth. Like, remember the whole false narrative about the ground zero mosque, quote unquote. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> Matt, it was madness. I, I had, so my uncle is a Republican state Senator in Indiana and I have seen people post on, I think he probably either deleted or blocked me from uh, his political page, but like his constituents very, very genuinely asking what he's going to do to prevent Sharia law. How do they plan to pull this off is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to work, uh, but it is the current gambit. And, and you see, and the reason I bring this up is that this is a clear way for them to try to why they're bringing up these bans, right? That even if they get struck down, it's still seen as a, it's still primarily a political ploy. So yeah. The fact that actual people, actual transgender children and their families are caught in the crossfire doesn't matter. This is just purely a cynical ploy to try to win votes. Um, We have there are at least 19 other states that have enacted laws restricting or banning gender affirming care uh, for minors. There have been uh, temporary injunctions in Alabama and Indiana. and the nice thing about this particular ruling is that it is likely to impact the rulings in, in those particular circuits, in, in those particular states as well. We may see what's called the circuit split. Um, a circuit split is when, a di- when different federal courts reach different conclusions on the same question. Um, so if we wind up with cir- a circuit split, circuit splits are almost entirely resolved by the Supreme Court. It's one of the major functions of the Supreme Court. Also, circuit splits are um, a classic area for law student uh, (laughs) law review notes. It's an easy thing to do. The first circuit says, the the second circuit says this, the sixth circuit says this, this is why, here's how the the Supreme Court might resolve it. Classic uh, law review articles. I do want to note that the Florida law that we had discussed before uh, in a yep. previous episode that you can you can uh, look at, it is actually the most extreme one um, because it also prohibited the use of state money for gender affirming care and placed restrictions on adults as yep. well. Um, yep. A federal judge again has issued an injunction, a temporary injunction on the ban uh, in Florida, but all of these other ones are still being the the permanent injunction is still being adjudicated. This is why. This one is so important because it's the first uh, uh, one that was um, circuit that has ruled on the merits here. And the arguments are extremely, extremely strong. Of course, this is going to be um, raised to the Eighth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. Um, But this is not something where there is like a medical, like a split in the medical community. The AMA, the American Medical Association, and the American Academy of Pediatrics have publicly and in court filings opposed the ban. All experts, all mainstream experts say the treatments are safe. Um, And uh, I want to note that uh, this particular law 
um, had been um, vetoed by former governor Asa Hutchinson, who left um, who who left the governorship in uh, January and then was signed into law uh, by now Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Sorry, I was gonna <clears throat> I was gonna pull up a, a article that I saw um, on my phone here, but um, I think what is also uh, what's also really frustrating is. I feel like this is an extension of like one of the um, sort of tent poles of fascism is like children are like property or animals, right? Like it's like children do not have a sense of self. Um, and for <laughs> the metal honey, um, uh, like the pride month thing, I wrote this, I wrote about like throughout my life, I've had all these jobs where I'm, um, I'm glimpsing the inner lives of teenagers, right? Like ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th graders. And um, that they're, they really, some of those kids that I had in my writing camp, um, I stayed friends with on Facebook and they really don't change that much. Like their sense of self does not change that much from the time they're in 10th grade. Right. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, it's really frustrating to hear, you know, again, I've, I've yelled about this on the podcast, but the same people who say like, Oh, well, you know, I'm trying to protect women's sports. Like they also don't want trans women to have puberty blockers that would, eliminate any and all advantage like like the whole point of puberty blockers aside from you know like preventing extreme dysphoria like for i it's hard to describe for people how upsetting like the dysphoria of puberty in you know the gender that is not what you really are right like how Mm -hmm. how psychologically damaging just that experience alone can be and again, the same fucking people who are like, I don't want my daughter to compete against a boy in a dress, like don't want them to have the treatment that prevents all of these supposed, you know, physiological advantages that they, you know, claim to be so afraid of. It just is maddening. I, I, I think that makes a really good point that like, I mean, it just led. So then what's the point? Well, the point is to get trans people to just disappear. That's the goal. Correct. Right. Yeah. That, that like we don't have to buy all of the bullshit arguments about we're trying to protect children. We're trying to protect girls. It's like, no, we, we, we see what you're doing that if you wanted to actually protect girls or protect children, you would give them access to appropriate medical care. Uh, You would make sure that they are safe. Um, Also like girls, children have a lot more to worry, worry about from like hetero cis men. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like when, when people ask me like, Oh, like, do you feel, do you feel comfortable? Like with trans women in the bathroom? I'm like, here's how I think about trans women. Okay. I think that being a man is in a, is a big, strong log cabin and we are in a fucking storm of the century. Tornadoes are coming. Being a woman is being in that storm in a goddamn pup tent. And, and a person runs out of the log cabin and wants to get in the tent come on in. Like we need more people to hold this fucking tent down so we don't fly the fuck away. Right. Like happy to have you on board. Welcome to the crew. It sucks here. Like if you knowingly give up your male privilege to live life as a woman, like I know for a fact that you really mean it. Like I know that this is really like what you want to be and, and what completes you as a human being. Um, and, you know, like my, my childhood best friend is a trans man, like the like my first best friend ever. You know what I mean? And I think back on our memories, we're like, <clears throat> and this is, again, oversimplifying, but like I think back on our on our memories of uh, when we would have like school like shows or whatever. We get to wear like our frilly dresses and I loved it. I loved like my stupid scrunchy dresses and Simon, when his mom would put him in a dress, looked like a cat in a harness. You know how they just kind of like fall over? Like it's just oh, like, God. just like, <laughs> I hate this so yeah. much. And like the most dress he could wear was like, it was basically just like a long t-shirt was like the most like, mm-hmm. you know, form fitting dress that he could like deal with. And now yeah. that I think back on those memories and I'm like, holy fucking shit. Like, of course. Right. Like it's it when you are close to someone who transitions like they go from being fuzzy to like very sharp right they come into sharp focus mm. and they're like yeah. the most they're the most them that you've ever known them and you're like oh my god like i see you like i can i fully like everything is lined up now and you're not 
fuzzy on the on on the edges, right? And yeah, um, mm. and you point out the joy of it too. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that there's like it's it's a really wonderful and joyful and difficult, but uh, but yeah. time and being close enough to someone to be able to live through that with them and be there with them is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's great. It's it's a tremendous and enormous privilege, right? Like it's a huge privilege to like be allowed in and like, you know, uh another one of my friends is a trans man that I've known since college and, you know, know him well enough that I was able to like ask about like the sort of psychological experience of being on testosterone. Yeah. Only to hear god fucking shit, only to hear that like like all these these attributes that we ascribe to like you know women women or you know we we like code as female or whatever like um he said like every day i wake up and i i'm gonna feel the same and i if i don't feel good i know exactly why i don't feel good it's like i didn't sleep enough or like i got hung over or whatever and it's like you know when you're just walking around and all of a sudden something makes you cry and you have no idea why and i was like yeah and he's like I have never experienced that one moment since I've been on testosterone. And I was like, God damn it. Damn it. Like hormones are crazy. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing, like that's what you come to realize is that like these tiny little micro doses of hormones. I mean, the amount of testosterone or estrogen you take is like very, very small. Mm -hmm. And you think about how much that influences, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, but like, the people who are really, really upset by the idea of trans people have attached so much of their identity on this little tiny thing called gender, right? Like this little, almost nearly insignificant uh, thimble full of hormones that they'll get throughout their entire lifetime and 90% of their identity and their capabilities. Like some, I dated a man who couldn't cook because I think he just thought it like wasn't masculine to know how to cook. He's very smart. Yeah. He's very capable, right? Like, but imagine just living in the world of like self-chosen helplessness because like oh, owning more than one pan is gay, I guess. <laughs> uh I guess. Um, I don't know. I've always I always wanted to be able to, you know, like not die if if other people weren't around. I always thought that was yeah. part of being a whole ass adult. Yeah, yeah, you know, you you do not fall into this, you know, for the same reason that you are like, you know, extremely trans affirming is like, well, gender's goofy. How silly that we all, you know, waste so much time, energy and calories worrying about it when it's just like some roles we decided together. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, I want to get to one for those of you who uh, have people in your life. I know that none of our listeners would ever feel this way uh, who says like both parties are the same or like, you know, I didn't vote because of blah, 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 blah. I want to note that uh, the judge in this case, James M. Moody Jr. Sounds like a good old boy. He was from Arkansas. He's the son of of an Arkansas judge who uh, his father was a U.S. District Court judge for the Eastern District of Arkansas. He went to the University of Arkansas for both uh, for his undergrad. He got his JD from the University of Arkansas Bowen School of Law, so he's double University of Arkansas. Uh, and he's a, he's he's, a hometown boy. He's a hometown boy, and he was nominated and raised to the bench by President Barack Obama in 2014. Yep. His father said, "If his son was uh, uh, the Moody Jr. was raised to the bench." The father would take emeritus status, would step down, which he did, um, cool. which makes sense. And uh, he was voted in after a cloture vote of 58 to 34. He passed his actual confirmation vote 95 to 4. So this is an entirely unproblematic mainstream choice for a seat in Arkansas. And this is the person who then got to rule on this and make a really nationally important decision that will not just help uh, transgender youth in Arkansas, but also nationwide. So even if you don't love Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden, right, getting in the Barack o- getting the presidency means we get to decide who these judges are. Um, yep. uh, con- and control of the Senate helps as well. So I'm just pointing out that the twenty we have 
Judge Moody because of the elections in 2008 and 2012. And that helps us with a court case here in uh, the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, <laughs> um, and also, don't judge a book uh, by its cover just because someone from Arkansas went to the University of Arkansas doesn't mean that they have to be a bigot. And notes to, I mean, listen, we know what all Hillary did wrong in 2016, but not just not going to some states and calling them just lost to, you know, red state America was an enormous mistake. I remind people of that all the time. Cause like I live in one of those States where people on in California are like, well, fuck them. Like, well, fuck Indiana. And I'm like, I live here too. And I want to have healthcare. I want to have Medicare for all bitch. Yeah. Ugh. And I'm living in, uh, I live in New York now. And I have to say after living in uh, Missouri, uh, where the uh, Affordable Care Act donut hole was still very much in effect, living in a uh, state where that's not the case, where they filled it in and the and the, and the um, exchange works properly and is very well subsidized, it makes a huge difference in the lives of people here. So yeah. on all of these fronts, every state matters, every vote matters. But speaking of things that matter, let's transition now to the criminal case of the century <laughs> Um, involving Hunter Biden and his misdemeanor counts for failing to pay taxes. Um, so uh, so uh, the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for Delaware uh, reached a plea agreement with Hunter Biden, criminal mastermind, and Hunter Biden <laughs> is going to plead guilty to two federal misdemeanor counts of failing to pay his taxes and then there's also a uh, 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 another case unrelated uh, for felony gun possession that will probably be dismissed after Hunter Biden uh, meets certain provisions. Um, so he's pro- Biden is pro- Hunter Biden is likely not going to do any any jail time. Uh, I want to note that this is not unusual in these types of cases um, that he is likely just to pay a fine, uh, be on probation. And, and, and not serve any time as is normal. So how do you think this is going to change the shape of American history, Sarah? You know, it is, I mean, I think we, you and I both agree this is the crime of the century um, <laughs> and it will go down in infamy. I think uh, we can all agree that plaques, plaques, bronze statues will be erected, inscribed with this date. Um, no, I mean, like, whatever. Uh, I don't, have you seen, <laughs> have you seen the um, right wing nut job, like Hunter Biden movie? Have you seen it? No, I have not. Or heard of it? The actor who plays Hunter Biden is British and does not for a single second attempt an American accent. So it's just yes. British Hunter Biden the whole time. Um, <laughs> it's very silly, obviously, but like, you know, I, I guess we can say, like, two things can be true at the same time, right? Like, Hunter Biden is probably a scumbag. Like, he probably really is, like, a true <laughs> piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, how my dude cannot put the camera down when he's, like, doing drugs and fucking a prostitute. Like, no. those nice sex worker ladies did not agree to have their, uh, their image shared, you know? Yep. But, like, that... Oh, it ha- <sighs> Can we all not have a fuck up sibling or a fuck up son or a fuck up parent? Like sometimes one of your family members and granted, like, I don't even want to call him a fuck up. Like he went through a horrible, horrible, horrific trauma and like is dealing with as most people who have serious drug addictions do like life altering trauma. Like, uh, and again, two things can be true at the same time. We can have sympathy for the fact that he's dealing with life-altering trauma and he's a fucking douchebag who needs to put the camera down when he's getting blown and doing blow. <laughs> I, can, I I agree. That, that That's my take on this, is that like Hunter Biden appears to be kind of a douchebag. Um, he also appears to need a lot of help. And he also yeah. appears to have failed to pay his taxes, um, about $100,000 in federal taxes, which now he has to pay back. Um, and so now he has to do that. 
And, and I have to, I want to note here that unlike what right wing conspiracy nut jobs uh, are trying to, <laughs> to to say, Joe Biden has not interfered in this case at all. The the reason yeah. I, I wanted to point out that the district the the U.S. attorney who's been prosecuting this was appointed by Trump is that as president, Joe Biden could have replaced that U.S. attorney with someone else, would have been well within his rights to do so, but did not appoint another U.S. attorney because he did not want to interfere in the investigation, as is proper. And, and I was going to say, and at the same time, like as as has been proven with uh, Trump appointees of all shapes, sizes, and varieties, like at some point you rub up against reality, right? And like, if they can't, if they find evidence of a crime, they should prosecute it. Like these are the same people who are like, oh, well, we should we should investigate Bill Clinton for for rape. Like, yeah, probably, <laughs> that's probably a good idea. Like, if if evidence of a crime is found, like we should prosecute people. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, um, I think that's like a, I don't know, particularly partisan statement, like prosecute criminals for crimes. (laughs) Exactly. And don't prosecute people for things they haven't done or that for which there is not enough evidence. But like the investigation into Hunter Biden clearly showed that there was enough evidence to pursue the gun and tax related charges and not anything for the, crazy conspiracy theories like i'm sorry to to um like the uh, the conspiracy theorists out there who really 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 wanted hunter biden to be some sort of criminal mastermind wheeling and dealing in 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 ukraine but he's just not he's just not he's just a fail son with a drug problem (laughs) who needs help yeah right he needs a lot of help right like he needs a lot of help. He's been through something horrible. He doesn't seem to be handling it very well. And that doesn't, you know, like, I think, I think what's so funny is like from the right, like as a person who lives in Indiana, you know, having a drug addicted son that you kind of don't want to think about or talk about is like not an uncommon experience. Right. And like, I think a lot of this is the, um, the presupposition that it would influence someone's better judgment is more of a, a, once again, we got confessions, right? We got confessions in accusations and uh, you know, like one of the ways that you become president and like is exactly this and somebody, you know, even from like a strict PR uh, perspective, you know, he's not going to interfere. Biden, president Biden is not going to interfere because like he's already got the stink of corruption from these exact same right wing nut jobs, right? Like there is, less than zero motivation for feeding those rumors. Yeah. (laughs) And like people are trying to say, you know, Biden won't admit any of these things. He just says, I love my son. It's like, yeah, because he doesn't, he's acting as his father, as Hunter's father in this case. He's not interfering. He's not trying to protect his son from the law, but he also still loves his son and wants to help him. Like that's what good parenting is is like he doesn't need to like take out a belt and spit and like fucking whip hunter biden on on national tv like no he needs to like unconditionally love his son and support him even when he disappoints him like that's remember what good parenting is you remember what that photo that came out of them having this like really loving like intimate father-son embrace and it was just like You know, like they are the only two people in the world who've been through the exact same grief and loss, right? Like they are, they are trauma bonded if any two people in this world are. Um, And it was such a lovely, you know, like, excuse me for preferring a president with a soul, but you know, it was a, it was this lovely moment captured on film and the amount of right-wing nut jobs who circulated this and they're like, does this look like a normal picture of a father and son? It's like, yes, if you are not terrified of intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as someone who, you know, my, my dad was a big, scary dude to a lot of people, <laughs> but he was also like a deeply loving father, you know, yeah. who, who loved me and my brother to death. It's like, yes, this looks very normal. This looks yeah. very healthy. <laughs> you know um and like i think you're telling on yourself um which is why which is why the uh meme group of uh boomers mistaking childhood trauma for happy for childhood memories uh continues to be relevant uh every day um 
I want to be clear. The reason that we we joke about this or we ever mention it is that this shit's going to come up in 2024, right? That the the defense against um, Donald Trump, uh, his clear criminal conduct, like, and I I don't mean like serious criminal conduct, uh, is the whataboutism, is the whataboutism about Joe Biden and and Hunter Biden. And uh, I just want to impress that these are not equivalent that like fomenting a violent insurrection um, is simply not equivalent to like fucking up your taxes <laughs> and then having to pay it back. It's like that. These are not the same thing. <laughs> well, it's, uh, first of all, let's all just get it out of the way. 2024 election season is going to be a fucking nightmare. It's just going to be mm-hmm. God awful front to back. And uh, I mean, part of this does feel uh, like retribution, right? Like part of it does feel a little bit like, you know, knowing that uh, Letitia James is working on this case in New York and just saying like, well, why don't I just look into whatever? And it's like, you know, most of us have probably committed some amount of tax fraud if accidentally, right? Like you can find some, mm-hmm. most of us are just lucky that the IRS doesn't have the time or money to audit everybody. Um, and you know, not, this is not like oh, a, I'll, I'll just say straight up. I'm, I'm going to divulge a little tax information, nothing any significant. Like I made a typo in my taxes this year and I caught it yep. and then I had to file, uh, uh, had to file a revision. Yeah. And that was that. Everybody happens fucks up the their time. taxes. Yeah. Happens all the time. Yeah. Everyone fucks this shit yep. up occasionally. And 99% of the time, the IRS goes, okay, cool. Just fix this. We're cool. Yeah. Right? Most of the time the IRS will be like, you owe us X amount of dollars. Pay up now, bitch. And then then they don't care what happens after that because it's all about the money, baby. <laughs> exactly. And like, the, like, again, like, let's just compare Trump possessing classified, potentially classified documents that are vital to national security and then hiding them <laughs> and lying about them um, versus Hunter Biden not paying about a, a little over a hundred grand in taxes, except now he's paid it back. Like these are not vaguely similar. They're going to be people trying to make bad faith, false equivalences about it in 2024. But I'm going to be honest, Sarah, like I am emotionally not prepared for oh, the upcoming it's... election gonna be the dumbest whatever it's going to be like that final crest at the at the of the roller coaster of fucking stupid (laughs) everything it's going to be the dumbest oh my god i just dread it with every fiber of my being these people are so fucking stupid and i got into it today with somebody that i know through the business world who is one of these fucking Rogan dipshits and his business requires him to build a complicated piece of machinery that he taught himself how to do. Right. Like very cool. And he's like, uh, well, I'm not an engineer and I can do engineering stuff. And I was like, you can do a little bit of engineering stuff. You can do a little bit of electrical engineering as any most very smart um, you know, lay people can do some amount of expert self-teaching and execution, right? Yeah. But I was like, but my guy, you cannot lay the footings for a $2 billion like power station, right? Like yeah. that would fall down because you do not have that expert training. Mm-hmm. There are some things like public health, like vaccines that we, the whole reason that we can live in the world and not go insane is that we trust that there are people who know more than we do who made this thing that we rely on safe for us. Right. It's like, so my brother works with like uh, databases for large financial companies. Right. The fact that I can do a little bit of work on an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> does not mean that I am vaguely qualified to try to figure out how to run a lar- the data uh, structure for a large financial institution. Like yeah. my dude, these are yeah. different things. There was a guy, you remember the guy who uh, built those rockets that actually like went pretty far up and they they came down on a uh, parachute and like most of them 
worked. He was old. Like he was old when he died in his homemade rocket. Like he was, he, he had lived this whole period, right. Of like successfully being a do it yourself rocket propulsion engineer, right? Like he built yeah. these in his garage and guess what killed him? His homemade rocket, right? Like yep. I, I think that amateurs can get really far on home training. And at some point you're going to rub up against that level of physics. That's just ever so slightly outside your reach. You know, it makes me think about fantasy baseball in particular, that um, (laughs) there was a period in my twenties when I was writing about fantasy baseball, I was playing fantasy baseball professionally for money and every now and again in a friend group, I would get a friend, I would get a buddy or a buddy of a buddy who was really into sports, thought he was a fantasy genius, and they'd invite me into their into their fantasy league. They're like, yeah, it's a hundred dollar buy-in. Like, come on in. And they're like all fucking gung-ho about it. they're gonna show me who they're like, talking behind my back. It's like he thinks the fucking expert. He thinks he's so smart. I'm gonna show him. And then like halfway through the season, they just give up. Because I am pounding the hell out of them. Um, because fantasy football, because fantasy sports is a math game, right? Like, yeah. because it's just like, like, you know, you, you, like people like you could probably do really well as like a professional poker player, right? Like I'd have to get you yeah. some jazzier jackets, but I think you'd do really well. Yeah, the only issue I have with poker is that I just don't like to sit and do one thing that long. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's kind of boring. Um, but yeah, it's a math game. Like I had, I had developed my own prediction model, which was based off Amazing. of various other things. Weirdly, I used a similar um, statistical model. I adapted it for online dating back in the early 2010s. <laughs> um, it was an interesting thought experiment. Um, but like... I, and but I recognized I was nowhere close. I, as good as I was, I was nowhere close as the true experts that I right. played in a few of those leagues and I did okay. But like yeah. the real math whizzes, you know, they beat me, and I yeah. was willing. I, I I was able to recognize that they were better at it than I was. But like, we were at least within the same range. It wasn't a yeah. hobby, right? This was yeah. something we spent a ton of brain power and time. Yep working on and just because you like googled some yahoo sports or like fox sports stuff and you and you read the same shit on espn insider that you get access to for 4.99 a month it doesn't make you god um yeah and and, uh, i think maybe maybe a better uh maybe a better analogy here is like your extremely successful predictive model does not mean that you are qualified to predict like for example when the next pandemic happens right like based on it's not like you could like you know as as a layperson as an amateur like come in and you know make broad predictions like if you don't know this is like my favorite story of how fucking whacked out the post 9-11 world was um there's a gentleman uh, whose last name is montgomery and i can't remember what his first name is but this man is a con artist, like capital C con artist. He sold the government on the idea that he had this predictive model that could, based on Al Jazeera broadcast, determine when the like the next the risk of the next like uh, terror event. And it was so convincing this con artist, although this thing the system was completely bullshit forwards and backwards. That was yep. what the remember the color based terror alerts were like. Yeah. You know, you'd be going to the fucking threat airport and you would say like, yeah, literally threat level orange, threat level midnight. We were all living in Michael Scott's fantasy and it was so fucking stupid and crazy. And it was all built on some guy just like selling his con artistry really, really well. <laughs> this is why, I mean, so like the death of expertise is an interesting book, by the way, but like it is a particular phenomenon on the right um, yeah. where it's true that sometimes the experts get shit wrong, but there's for anybody who works in in these fields, there's a lot of pressure. um, If people, if they're getting it wrong, there are a lot of people who want to make a career showing how those other people, all those other experts are wrong. So it tends to be kind of uh, self-correcting over time. Uh, But the right wing has gotten so enamored of the, uh, of the amateur that essentially they are extremely vulnerable to grifters and con men. 
because yeah. they have driven out all the actual experts in yeah. the field. And like, this is why a lot of the time I right wingers occasionally try to argue with me about con law um, in particular. And it's the old saying that your 10 minutes of Googling does not equal my graduate degree. Um, (laughs) um, But like what I find is that the people they're reading, the experts they're reading aren't experts at all. They're just similarly interested amateurs who have yep. the same sort of epistemic shortcomings and lack of expertise. Um, yeah. and, and like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've run across this, that you have hard won knowledge as a, as a small business owner about <laughs> how to run your business, how to scale a business, how to do marketing. I'm sure there are a lot of, um, I'm, I assume that you do run into douchebags who want to tell you how to run your business better. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and so this, what frustrates me about what has become the modern skeptic sort of mentality is mm-hmm. they barely have the attention span to question the narrative, right? But like, they do not have the attention span to go through like, like Joe Rogan, who describes himself as king of the apes, you know, is really good at asking like the but what if it's this like devil's avocado, right? Like, and, but, but will not sit through a discussion of like, what is like a good uh, sample size, right? Like will not sit through a discussion of like, you know, um, repeatable methodology, right? Like one, Mm -hmm. like the, my, with my, I've now I have two businesses, right? Like, and, and I obsess about repeatability, right? Like, which is like, was this a fluke or is this a, a useful standard yes. to put in place, right. For this process. Right. And mm-hmm. repeatability is like the key to scientific inquiry. Can somebody across the world using just the paper that like the full, you know, text of the paper that you wrote, repeat your exact experiment and get the exact same results. And if not, your study sucks. Yep. Yep. And this is something. So those of you who are interested in like self self-learning and self-teaching, which is great. There are a lot of great podcasts, a lot of great YouTube channels that are about this stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of them are complete horseshit because they will play up, especially the ones in things like cognitive science, neuroscience, like hacking your own, your own psychology, the, the, anything about optimization. Um, they tend to rely on either single studies or really or, or uh, methodologically flawed studies that have failed yes. reproducibility. Yes. So just because someone has a shiny degree or works at a shiny place does not mean that they're an expert on everything. And I'm not going to name names here, but there's one particular person in this space who is particularly good on this, on one area of neuroscience, but has sort of, as the podcast has gotten bigger, branched out into a bunch of other fields about which they know nothing. And yep. they know nothing to the point where anyone who's even vaguely familiar with the literature goes, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, like the, the, the study you're citing sucks or it hasn't been reproduced yet. Yeah. Or like you're drawing way too strong a conclusion off of sort of fuzzy evidence. And like, there's a reason why you and I talk about very specific subjects here Um that I'm not going op- to I'm not going to give anybody here my particular opinion on the neurobiology of sleep. I'm just going to be very clear. I have feelings about it. I I've, I've read a great deal about it because it's something of interest, but I'm not sharing my fucking yeah. dorm room musings <laughs> to the world because there you, go. you all deserve better than my dorm room musings that there are actual experts out there and like you and i have an upcoming series that we're going to be talking about some medical issues so what have we actually been doing what's our who's actually going to be coming on the podcast medical experts medical experts and patients who are using some of the drugs that we're going to be talking about like you know one of them happens to be both a medical expert and a person Mm -hmm. using some of the drugs we're talking about uh and it's it's again it's really if I were my brother-in-law and sister tell me stories about patients that if I were a doctor, I would have already got caught a felony for choking somebody because (laughs) you can give people, you know, like there, 
you can give somebody all the best information, which is really hard to, because most of the average doctor's appointment is like 15 or 20 minutes. Like that in and of itself is really difficult and it puts doctors in a difficult yeah. position. Um, but you can arm people with the best knowledge that your 14 fucking years of college has given you. Right. Like, and like all of them, every doctor who practices in like a public hospital setting has to do some continuing ed, right. They have to stay yep. current on different studies. Um, so this isn't even just, <laughs> just their, you know, medical school residency, uh, you know, subspecialty residency, whatever it is, it's like, it goes on and they might still be like, nah, I know my body. I'm not doing that. Right. Like mm -hmm. you have congestive heart failure. You need to take this medicine that makes you pee off a lot of your fluid. Cause if not, it will collect in your body and it'll make your heart failure like worse. And it's like, nah, that's kind of boring. Pills are boring. I don't trust medicine. And then they come back, you know, with having gained a hundred pounds of fluid in two months, like yeah. crazy. Yeah. So this is why if people ask, because we, we get topic suggestions all the time. The reason we don't touch some of them is simply because we're not the right people to talk about it. And we look for, in those particular areas, the right people uh, to talk <laughs> about them. So we're going to be having a fun series on that uh, coming up. But uh, like things like Hunter Biden, <laughs> uh, around the law, around <laughs> politics, we actually do know a great deal around these things. So we can talk about them. But for all the people yeah. who are interested in our opining uh, about areas outside our direct experience or outside our direct expertise. Like if we don't get to them right away, I just, this is just like an editor's note. It's not because we're not interested or we, or we don't care. It's just, we don't feel like we're the right people to talk about it. We need to find the relevant people to speak about that. And if anybody you see claims to be an expert in everything, uh, <clears throat> Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Um, you should be extremely skeptical. Um, yeah, uh, this is this is a disease. This is a fucking disease among small business owners. Like, like you know, I was just talking about like the amount of people who go from being a small business owner, and I like there are things in small business ownership that do require a great amount of like strategy and like, you know, long-term thinking and long-term planning. And there's also a lot of moments that will really test your ability to pivot like right now, like today, right now, like last year, <laughs> uh, last year for a while, um, there were zero five ounce Flint glass, 24, 414 bottles in the United States. That's but crazy. what I found out is we can still use 24 410 with our same caps. So I got those all good. You just have to like make those little decisions. Right. But no offense to all the other business owners. It does not take a genius. It does not make me a genius. Like learning to roll with that stuff and getting better at it is just like experiential knowledge. You're not a smart, brilliant, brilliant genius. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Speaking of things that are brilliant, uh, tell us what's going on at Metal Honey this summer. So uh, if you are a member of the uh, Metal Honey Tastemakers Club, you get um, stuff straight out of the Metal Honey Test Kitchen. Um, right now we got two seasonings that just went out. One is uh, vegan, one is non-vegan, has a little anchovy powder. All the ingredients, you're going to look at them and you're going to say, what the fuck is this? And what the fuck is that? And what the fuck is this? And what the fuck is that? And all I'm asking is, trust me, babies, like just put it on your meats, put it on your veg. <laughs> and then you're going to hit the little QR code that's on the label and tell me what you think with our surveys. And uh, that's $25 every quarter. I also just started Lollipop, uh, sorry, Dolly Pop uh, lip gloss bar, which you will see around at various events here and there. Um, and yeah. Uh, it's lip glosses. It's pretty straightforward, but the packaging is super cute. So go to dollypopgloss.com and shop. And and also for like hot girl or hot boy summer, your lips still get chapped in the summertime. So if you're going right. to be smooching with that special someone, your summer fling, like make sure that you have those lips moisturized. And uh, if Lubed you're going to be up. trying to impress them, yeah, lube, lube up your lips. <laughs> that felt gross just saying that. Um <laughs> But also, <laughs> uh, if you're going to be trying to impress them with your mad grilling skills, 
use that yes. uh, use those uh, uh, metal honey products to make sure that, and you can say, I'm part of the Tastemakers Club. This is something that's not available in markets yet. Um, you're Just getting saying. something brand new, cutting edge, baby. Little insider, little insider cred there for you. And for all the guys out there, uh, one of the most attractive things women say in a man is a man who's able to cook. Um, Damn so straight. I'm just laying that out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where can people find more about the podcast? Uh, go on Twitter at Perp Stew. Tweet at us suggestions, ideas, questions. Um, find us on Facebook um, and also on all the major major uh, podcasting sites. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all those fun things. Stitcher. Um, like, subscribe, share, uh, leave a review. All of those things help, help us with the algorithm and we really appreciate it so we can keep uh, growing the podcast. Um, but that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, this has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.